Okay, it's time now for the Right Hook Health Checkup. Kira Kelly is off skiing, so I'm joined by cardiologist Dr. Ronan Margie. Dr. Margie, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, George. So we're asking people if you have a query about the old ticker or things related, 53106, the number for your text messages. You're at the Matter Private Clinic in Cork. It's pretty new, isn't it? How it, new? It is, George. It's only open the last two years, so it's the most modern um, private facility in Munster. And we've got a brand new state-of-the-art cardiac cath lab and coronary care unit there with all of the modern equipment that you would want to perform all of the fantastic minimally invasive procedures we can now do. So you actually now have a better chance of surviving a heart attack, is that it, than you might have had 10 years ago? Yes, sure, George. So since 1980, the mortality for a heart attack in the Republic of Ireland has fallen 50%. Wow. And 50% of that decrease is down to better prevention. So being able to treat high cholesterol, control blood pressure, stopping smoking, exercise, and the other 50% is because of better hospital care. So being able to put stents in when people have acute heart attacks and abort the heart attack before it's had the chance to do damage. But this this equipment, I mean, as the equipment gets more modern, that's great, but it also gets more expensive. So we've got to assume there's a massive sort of uh, uh, um, capital commitment here in in the matter of private and corporate. It's huge, um, 70 million euro investment in the hospital alone. And then over 1 million euros of capital equipment purchase for the cath lab alone. So it's really got state-of-the-art equipment. All right. Well, they're coming in thick and fast. But um, Danny and Kerry, is a cardiac CT effective at detecting coronary artery disease? So uh, there's two parts to that question. So when you have a CAT scan done of your heart, you can just get a calcium score, which is basically a marker that there's hardening of the arteries there. Or you can have a second component to the scan where you're given x-ray dye and it allows us to look inside the arteries and see if there's blockages also. So for people who are sort of in the medium risk category, that's where we're not quite sure whether they have heart disease, but they have risk factors. Um, CT imaging is useful because it helps to move them up into a higher risk category and uh, delineate who's truly at higher risk. Um, And similarly, it can be reassuring. So it, it works. It does work, yeah. Oh, but interesting you mentioned calcium now. What about the fella, a uh, man, has a buildup of calcium in the valve of his heart? He's waiting for a scan. So we'd like to know more about, the, about that condition, calcium in the valve. So that's a separate condition from, from the coronary CT scan. So you can get a buildup of calcium in your heart valves with age. And in fact, about 1 in 10 people over the age of 70 in Ireland will have what's called aortic stenosis which is narrowing of the outlet valve of the heart and that the hallmark of that is calcification and so the valve becomes obstructed and the normal valve opening is about the size of a two euro coin and as the valve becomes obstructed it often narrows to about the size of the tip of a pen and uh, an echocardiogram which is an ultrasound scan of the heart a bit like the scans that pregnant women would have done during pregnancy, except it's off the heart, will allow you to assess whether there's calcification in the valve and how severe it is. Well, I mean, you don't need to be a genius to work out if the hole is supposed to be the size of a two euro coin and now it's the size of a ballpoint tip that you've got a problem. I mean, I, I get that. But 
what about the person? This one I'm really interested in. 67-year-old, he's had a heart attack. He's now on statin and aspirin. Uh, and his stents inserted. So he's had the whole nine yards, yeah. really. But I know uh, a lot of people who, we talk about them in a minute, about uh, uh, who have uh, irregular heartbeats. Anti-inflammatories are then not a good drug, isn't that right? So that's the question the 67-year-old has, because he has joint pain like all the old age pensioners. Can he take anti-inflammatories? So, I mean, that's the obvious catch-22. And the problem with anti-inflammatories is that they can interact with the aspirin and aspirin-like uh, medications that you're prescribed after a heart attack and in fact there were some anti-inflammatories which have since been removed from the, from the market that actually increased your risk of heart attack so there was sort of a blanket caution um, issued for the use of anti-inflammatories if you had coronary artery disease. If you have really bad arthritis and you need to take an anti-inflammatory for pain control what I tend to tell my patients is to take it for as short as possible. So a single once-off dose should be okay. Okay, yeah, I think that leads on to a question. Um, for the, Funny I heard some politicians say, you know, the people couldn't uh, afford warfarin, which is what you give uh, for people who have a regular heart beat. Then that's been replaced by a drug called Pradaxa now, but it doesn't matter, they both do the same job. But then apparently these anti-inflammatories because what warfarin and these various drugs do is to thin the blood. When you take an anti-inflammatory, you could actually get a bleed inside your system. That sounds a bit worrying. Yeah, well, anti-inflammatory drug, drugs by themselves have a side effect where they can irritate the stomach lining and cause gastric bleeding or stomach bleeding. Okay. And then if you're on an anticoagulant, um, and your blood's already thin and you start bleeding, obviously it's going to be harder to stop bleeding. And the second concern is is that a lot of the medications are broken down by common pathways in the liver. Um, and so you can get drug-drug interactions, which can either increase the level of the anticoagulants right, to have okay. a more dramatic effect or decrease it. Because they're both heading down the same pathway. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 What about these drugs um, for thinning of blood? I'm, I'm an expert here, of course, because I have a regular heartbeat. But when I read the, the thing, like it says, if you cut yourself shaving, like you might bleed to death. I presume that's a bit over the top advice, is it, for it, people it, listening? Because a number of people have said that. It is in general, you know, the the reason why you're prescribed a blood thinner is because you have a common heart rhythm condition called atrial fibrillation. Right. And that affects about 1 in 10 people over the age of 65 and it actually increases as you get older. And the problem with that is, is that it's associated with a five-fold increased risk of stroke in general. Um, and by taking an anticoagulant, you reduce the risk of stroke down to about the same as the background population risk. Now, the downside of taking a blood thinner is that there is a risk of bleeding, and the risk of major, serious, life-threatening bleeding is about 1% per year. All right, okay. So it's quite a low risk. But if you're getting a tooth out, you probably would tell the dentist that yeah. you're on this thing or yeah. whatever, right? And, okay. and you may need to have packing or some alternative right. form of control for bleeding, but it shouldn't prohibit you having your dental extraction done. Uh, my, my guest is cardiologist Ronan Margie from the Manor <clears throat> Private Clinic in Cork, and your questions on the heart to 53106. Uh, uh, Text 53106. Um, I'm on. What about the person who has cholesterol of eight point five? He's fifty-one. He doesn't want to take statins, uh, but he does have plaque buildup in his arteries. He's looking for magic bullets, is he not? 
I think he probably is, George. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, he has established disease if we know he's got plaque in his arteries. And so the European Society of Cardiology Guidelines would endorse that he take a statin. What's a statin? So these are medications which shut down the cholesterol production in your liver and lower your cholesterol by shutting down your own liver factory for cholesterol production. So about 80% of the cholesterol in your body comes from your liver and 20% from your diet. And these drugs have a very dramatic effect on cholesterol. But he's on 8.5 now. You wouldn't be happy about that, presumably. No. So for somebody with established disease, the portion of cholesterol, the bad cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, the stuff that builds up plaque, you would advocate that that's well, well down under 1.8 millimoles per litre so that his GP right. should be able to give him the breakdown of the blood test. All right. Uh, this is gas. Uh, he, he's an, an, an athlete, this guy. He shouldn't be really talking to us really, but he is. He says, every time I get my heart checked, they find an abnormality. Now, I'm sorry for smiling, but I mean, it seems such a strange text. I have a resting pulse of 40 and I'm an endurance athlete. I have been told I have left ventricle enlargement. Is that normal for an athlete, he asks? So there is this um, phenomenon known as the athletic heart where you get adaptations to your heart's normal function just because of your endurance training. So, for example, some of the former winners of the Tour de France often had resting heart rates of 26 beats a minute. And that's quite normal. The higher levels of endurance training that you do, you get changes in your heart. So you tend to slow your pulse down. Your heart cavity tends to enlarge. The volume of blood that's pumped out from your heart with every heartbeat tends to increase. If you stop training over about three months, your heart returns back to normal. So a lot of these changes that we see on ultrasound scans of the heart actually disappear after three months of detraining. So if there's ever a concern, is this a disease or is it just athletic training, we tell people to stop training for three months. All right, okay. Now, um, the, uh, I don't understand this, but I'm going to read it as it is. Do you need to do 24-hour ambulatory blood pressure before starting any blood pressure lowering mechanism? Well, it's a great question. Because as we all know, when we go to the doctor, we tend to be anxious and nervous. And there's this phenomenon known as the white coat effect where your blood pressure goes up as soon as you walk into the doctor's surgery. Right, okay. So if you have high blood pressure, which about 55% of people over 60 in Ireland do have, um, then going to the doctor can make it artificially higher than it would be normally. And the best way to confirm whether you've got high blood pressure or not and the best way to assess whether you're on enough treatment is actually to do a 24-hour monitor. So that's 46 individual blood pressure measurements over the course of a day this and night. This is where they hang, they hang a thing around your neck and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little blood pressure thing on it. So that's checking how you're doing all the time then. Yeah, yeah, so and the, it keeps a record, so they put it through the computer. So you can, is that right? Yeah, all the right. little, little blood pressure cuff on your arm and it takes about 46 measurements and you can see the average in the daytime and at night time and that helps us to see whether you still have the normal day-night difference in blood pressure because it should fall about 20% over the course of the night or whether it's elevated and that's often the first sign that somebody has high blood pressure and it's often the first sign that they're not on enough treatment. Um, Claire, she heard a cardiologist on Sky News suggest that people should be be taking blood pressure medication regardless of whether they have high blood pressure or not. Well, buy into that? well, I I mean, there is a direct straight line relationship between your risk of dying and your blood pressure. 
If your blood pressure is ultra low, you may get side effects from low blood pressure where you faint or pass out or where sometimes your kidney function can be affected. But by and large, if you have heart disease of any type or you've had a stroke or a mini stroke or you've got peripheral arterial disease, the lower your blood pressure can be made, the better it'll be but, for your but, long but term she's survival. Saying that, so that's why you. But she's saying that this guy on Sky, not that Sky is the oracle of all yeah. wisdom, but he's suggesting that you, whether you have have high blood pressure or not, you should take medication. So I don't as a kind of preventative. I don't know if I would necessarily endorse that, okay. but the blood pressure guidelines do change over time. At the moment, we recommend that for people without diabetes to keep their blood pressure less than one forty ninety. But there is research out there to suggest that we should be treating it lower to one twenty seventy, which is what we would consider a normal blood pressure. Yeah. What about the fellow who's 48 and his blood pressure is 60 stroke 80? He's got fluid retention in the legs, some palpitations. He's not overweight. Should he? Oh, no, it's not a he. It's a she. Sinead, should she go for a test based on that? So I suspect um, what she meant was her blood pressure was 160 yeah. over 80. Mm. Um, and that's certainly high. And with high blood pressure, you can get fluid retention. And high blood pressure by itself will increase the likelihood of you experiencing palpitations. So she certainly should get evaluated with her GP and uh, have a general physical and a checkup and have 24-hour monitor to see what her blood pressure is like. But you can see how people panic and worry, though. I mean, yeah. you can see the white coat syndrome. I mean, you can see how somebody worry. My guest is cardiologist Rona Margie from the Matter Private in Cork. Your, your questions to 53106. And more palpitations. Like, would you explain what palpitations are? Yeah. What, what, what are palpitations? So it, it depends. Um, people describe palpitations as just isolated extra heartbeats or sometimes they feel as if their heart's racing too fast or sometimes they describe that their heart is irregular and it can occur in bursts or showers so they tend to notice them more commonly in the evenings or at night time. By and large, the vast majority of people we see with palpitations just have simple extra skip beats from their heart and this is part and parcel of normal heart functioning. If people feel that their pulse rate is fast and rapid and it lasts for seconds or minutes or longer, then it may be a sign that they actually have an arrhythmia, which is a sustained change in yeah. the heart rhythm. Now, Anne-Marie, you asked that question about palpitation. She had an ablation four years ago. What's an ablation? So that's a procedure where we go in from the vein in your leg with a tiny catheter about the size of a pen and advance it up inside the heart and map out the electrical signaling of the heart and find out where these arrhythmias uh, originate from. And we do have a uh, treatment now where we can use radio frequency energy or sometimes freezing energy to eliminate the source of the extra beats. Yeah, it's interesting. Half the population seems to be sent to this question. Half the population is either has heart worries yeah. or general worries about it. The um, Conrad Dunleary, he, 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 and I think I've heard it myself. Conflicting opinions about statins. Like, are you kind of pro statin doctor or an anti statin doctor? Is that the way it goes? Yeah. Well, I, you know, like research on any drug, there's pros and cons, and there's risk and benefit with taking any medication and side effects with any drug. As a cardiologist, 
I use statins very widely. I mean, they definitely have a very powerful effect on preventing heart attack and stroke disease. And if you look broadly speaking, whether you look at patients who've never had a heart attack or a stroke or you look at patients who've suffered one afterwards, statins in general reduce your risk of another one by about 20%. So they're very effective. However, that said, about 3 to 4% of people experience muscle cramps and aches and pains that will require discontinuation of the drug. And there are potentially more serious side effects. But because I'm getting such a ton of them, right, there are all these, like, I mean, Julie is getting fluttering of the heart yeah. and she's worried about it. Some other fellas worrying about palpitations and so on. I mean... Does that happen normally with your heart and your body? So you're not in, you don't dial 999 the ambulance there. So nature's designed us with a wonderful redundancy. Your heart is a pacemaker system, which is usually meant to regulate your heart rhythm. But every single individual heart muscle cell can initiate an electrical signal, which will stimulate your heart to beat if the timing is just right. And if you put a heart rhythm monitor on anybody, you would see that maybe up to several hundred or maybe a thousand heartbeats over the course of a normal day, they will have what are called extra systoles or extra beats from both the upper and the lower chambers of the heart. And that's most commonly what people describe when they feel fluttering or palpitations. They tend to occur most in the evenings or at night. They tend to occur in showers. They can be worsened with caffeine, chocolate, sleep deprivation, stress. A lot of common lifestyle factors can influence them. So, not to, do you still say not to panic? I mean, or in general, I would say not to panic. Now, if you've got a history of high blood pressure, diabetes, or smoke, smoking, or you've had a heart attack or a stroke event in the past. Um, or there's a family history of an arrhythmia. Ah, no, that's. Do mind I go to family yeah. history? My my good friend, sadly no longer with us, who was my GP, Jack Ormond. Jack used to always say, "George, you owe a huge debt to your parents." And and family history. If you have family history of 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 uh, heart attack, of cardiac uh, death, that makes a difference. It does, yeah. Now it's it's um, it depends on the degree of closeness of the family relative. So, uh, you know, a first degree relative, a brother or sister or a parent who suffered premature cardiac event, that's obviously places you at a higher risk um, than somebody who doesn't have a close relative. All right. Okay. Uh, There's a new generation of cholesterol reducing medicines, Lar and Kilkenny says. Do you fancy those instead of statins? Yeah, well, we have about 30 years of experience with using statins. And as I said, they they do work. They do exactly what it says on the tin. There is a new class of drugs now called PCSK9 inhibitors, which have just been approved. And they are taken once a month or once a fortnight by injection, a bit like a diabetic patient would take a shot of insulin. And they have been shown to have powerfully reduced cholesterol. Now, what we don't know until another two to three years' time is whether they will have knock-on effects like statins in terms of lowering heart attack and stroke rates. But assuming they do, then there'll be a very um, welcomed jump forward in terms of being able to treat people who have a family history of what's called familial hypercholesterolemia. That's where they have extraordinarily high cholesterols from early childhood and it's genetically based and for people who can't take statins. 
Now, what about this man? He's 52. He had a metal valve in his aorta, and it's noisy. Is that right? What's that? He wants to reduce the noise. Yeah, well, on, so it depends on the type of valve and when the surgery was done. So most modern metal valves tend to not produce a clicking noise as dramatically oh. as, as the older generation valves did. The valves that would have been used in the 1960s, Now, when you say clicking, clicking, I mean, you, you hear it in your heart. Like. You'll hear it outside. It'll be like a clock ticking. Inside your chest? Yeah, yeah, because it's a metal disc of the valve. So you have no plans to reduce the noise, have you? Unless he he wants to volunteer for repeat surgery, there's no way to uh, reduce the noise. Okay, well, he's only 52. He could do his repeat surgery. Oh, I think I I would recommend he keep the valve Stay with the clicks, all right. Listen, there's one thing I want, two things I wanted to ask you about. One, when this real worry about obesity that we now have, right, because obviously there's a relationship with heart disease, how worrying is it when particularly we see fat kids? Like, how worrying is that? Well, it, it's uh, definitely a concern, and the reason it's a concern is that we know that it will increase their lifetime risk of cardiovascular disease. So they'll be more likely to develop diabetes at a younger age. They'll be more likely to become hypertensive, have high blood pressure, be more likely to develop sleep disorders like sleep apnea, and all of those things help to multiply your future risk of a heart attack or stroke. Before you go, Sean Clancy was at school with the Open Letter Kenny, so he says congratulations and well done. Just before you go, though, when you're in the golf club in the shower sometimes, there's fellas with huge scars down the front of your chest, their chest where they've obviously been opened up like. Yeah. Do you still do that or have you a smarter way of doing it now? Yeah, so that's conventional cardiac surgery or bypass surgery where you open up the breastbone and stop the heart and put bypasses onto the blood vessels. Nowadays, for a large proportion of people, we're able to fix blockages in the arteries with a stent procedure. So that's where we thread a wire about the size of a hair in your head down the blood vessel And over that wire, we pass a very small balloon across the narrowing in the artery, open the balloon up to stretch open the narrowing, and then put in a stent, which is really a metal scaffold. It looks like a metal cylinder inside the blood vessel to keep it open and to prevent narrowing. But the big advantage of that is you're going to recover much more quickly. I mean, if your chest is open, you break the best bone or whatever the hell you do. Listen, thanks a million for coming in. Matter private in Cork, you'll find my guest, cardiologist Rona Margie. Go by the state of the nation and the nation's heart. We'll have to have you back, Rona. Anytime, George. To answer questions. Uh, coming up next, the leap year. What's it all about anyway? How did it happen? Shane Coleman wants to talk about the very first government in the state. That's coming up as well. George here with the right hook. Monday evening, News Talk.